We've been in a series that stems from the question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? That's the question for each one of us. That's the question. Who do you say I am? Or who is Jesus to you? That's the question that uh, we've been looking at for the last several weeks. And that's the question that one day each one of us is going to have to have figured out and answer when we're asked. In the 4th century A.D., the church gathered around the Council of Nicaea and set down in writing exactly what the church believes, particularly clarifying who, in fact, Jesus is. Because there's some teachings shown up, you know, teachings started creeping into the church saying that Jesus was something other than what Scripture teaches us. And uh, I, I love it. I love it. Other than what, teach, what Scripture teaches us. So church got together with the Council of Nicaea and, and said, this is what we believe. And they expanded on the Apostles' Creed in the area of who Jesus is. And we've been talking about this. So what I want to do today is continue what we've been doing uh, throughout this series. And one last time, I want us to stand and I want us to recite the Nicene Creed together, out loud and with conviction, because this matters. This is what Christians believe. So uh, we should have it on the screen, <clears throat> unless we all have it memorized by now, which I kind of doubt that. It's not in there? Okay, it is on there somewhere. See, I threw a wrench into the things when I moved it just a little bit of where it, where it goes in the service. Uh, maybe back out and... Uh, here we go. <clears throat> All right. Now, who, who has this memorized? No? I must say, I had it memorized when I was a kid, but... Well, you get old and your age, your memory isn't what it used to be. Here we go. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, <clears throat> who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven." and sits on the right hand of the Father, 
and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> that is not a time when you want to get a catch in your throat <clears throat> when you're trying to recite that. You know, often we refer to or talk about or think about the return of Christ, that one day, you know, Jesus Christ is returning to this earth and coming back for his church. Um, and, um, for example, when we commemorate Christ's death and resurrection, when we take communion together, the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul says that whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, and then what, as you say? Until he comes. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, and then the, the Nicene Creed, which we just, you know, just recited together, says, Who for us men, talking about Jesus, for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and it was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. So again, it's stating our belief our hope, and by hope we don't mean wish, we mean confident expectation, something that we are certain of, something that we are sure, sure of, that Christ will one day return. And in the Apostles' Creed, we proclaim on the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And you look at the second to last verse in all of the Bible, in Revelation 22:20 20, says, "He who testifies to these things says, "Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus." And that's the church's prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. As believers, we eagerly await for the Lord's return, that day when He comes back. Let me ask, have you ever dreamed about that day? Have you ever really thought about that day, wondering, am I still going to be here or not? Is it today, tomorrow? Is it 100 years away? Am I going to be around for it or not? You know, and wondering, what, what's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? Have you ever looked up in the sky at the clouds and tried to picture what it would be like? Think, what, what is going to look like when Jesus returns? Well, wonder no longer as far as what that day will be like. You can wonder when it's going to be because we have no idea. 
You know, we like to think it's soon. Could be a long way off. When you look at things in the perspective of a timeline of history, it's soon, but it's a different perspective than ours. But as far as what it's going to be like, the Apostle John has given us a vision of that day. And he recorded it for us in Revelation 19. That's when it all goes down. John writes this, starting in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And is in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, that you would speak to our hearts. We open them to you. Say whatever you will to us. For we know that your word is good. Give us understanding. Give us clarity, teach us, instruct us, correct us. Do whatever you want to do in our hearts, Lord. We're open before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're closing out our series uh, that we've been on. We're closing it out by looking at one last name or one last title of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot more that we could go over. We're going to wrap up for now with this one. It's found in this passage from Revelation, which we just read. And the passage, you know, opens with a person that's mounted on a white horse. And after giving a description of him, John tells us in verse 13, his name is called the Word of God. Now we've looked at this name already, the Word of God. And we saw at the beginning of the series that the Word of God is Jesus. In John 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then skipping down to verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we know from what, we've, what we started out this series with was that the person that Jesus sees on the white horse is Jesus because he's called the Word of God and we know that the Word is Jesus. But then as we continue reading in Revelation 19, John tells us another name for the rider on the, right, on the white horse. First, there's another one that we don't know, that no one knows, only God and, but then there's one that, that, that we are told in verse 19, it says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, 
King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's what I want to briefly look at today. Who is Jesus? He is the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. Now, what does that mean to us? What does this name tell us about Jesus? Each of the names tell, that we've looked at tells us something about Jesus. First thing that tell, this tells us is that Jesus is returning as a victorious, conquering king. It says in verses 14 and 15, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he, as, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. The fact that he's returning on a white horse, as John describes, is significant. Because in the ancient Middle East, a king would either, riding, either come into a city riding on a donkey or riding on a horse. A king would enter riding on a donkey if he was coming in peace. But if he was entering a city for war, he would ride on a war horse. Think about Jesus. The first time he came into Jerusalem, on, or not the first time, but when he came into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, what was he riding on? He was riding on a donkey, right? He was coming to Jerusalem in peace. He was coming to, to his people in peace. But he was rejected and he was crucified. In Revelation 19, he returns in this time riding on a white horse, white representing purity. He's riding on a white horse, and he's accompanied by the armies of heaven because he's coming in war, and he's coming to vanquish his enemies. George Ladd says that the white horse represents Christ in his final victory over the evil powers which have oppressed the people of God throughout the course of the age. Now, some scholars believe that the armies of heaven coming with him are, are saints, while others believe that the armies coming on white horses with him are, uh, that, that it's an army of angels coming with him. I don't know which one it is, but I lean toward it's us. It's the saints that are coming with him uh, uh, for a, a couple of reasons. But, I, but what I think is significant, though, about this is he's coming with an army, whether it be angels or saints, he's coming with an army. And have you ever seen an army coming to battle? You ever seen an army? Have you ever, you know, watched movies and, you know, the military's coming in, the army's coming in, and depending on if they're riding horses or riding jeeps or marching or whatever it is, you know, they're full of, you know, they've got their, maybe their tanks or, you know, back in the day, their swords and, and, and you know, uh, uh, whatever. It's, it's like they're all their weapons and so forth, and they're fully armed and they're ready to do battle, Right? What's interesting and what's significant is that the only weapon that's mentioned is the sword that's coming out of his mouth. His word. His word. That day is not going to be 
a back-and-forth struggle with both sides inflicting casualties on the other. Not at all. Jesus is going to speak, and his enemies will be vanquished. We call it a battle. We call it a war. But it's going to be the enemies of God coming against him, and Jesus coming and just speaking a word and vanquishing his enemies. There won't even be a struggle. The beast, the false prophet, the kings of the earth, they're going to be defeated by the word of his mouth. Jesus is returning as a victorious, conquering king. Second thing the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, tells us about Jesus is that he is the supreme authority. He's not just a king. He's not just a lord. He is king of kings and lord of lords. There is none higher in all of creation. I like what you know, Paul talks about this in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In chapter 1, he says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I mean, it really couldn't be any clearer than that. Far above all, not some, not most, all, author, all rule and authority, all power and dominion, every name that can be named, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. There is no one higher than Jesus. And on that day, everyone's going to recognize that. Everyone's going to recognize the supreme authority of Jesus. There's not going to be any argument. There's not going to be any question. Even those who up until that time refused to acknowledge him are going to do so then. Because all people are going to bow before him. All people are going to kneel before him. Those who believed him in this life, those of us who worship him now and, and, and believe in him now, as well as those who refuse to believe. Just kind of a side note. As you read through the Bible, begin to mark every time the word refuse or refused is used. It's a good study to do sometime. Most of the time, it's talking about those who refuse to believe in the truth and be saved or refuse to, to obey God's commands, refuse to, you know, to worship the Lord. You know, and, and just mark that sometime. And as you do, stop and pray for those who are just refusing. And it may be because, simply because they don't know it may be because they just haven't experienced him. But for whatever reason, we need to pray for those who refuse to believe. Anyway, third thing, just going through these briefly, and that is that Jesus will judge the nations. 
says, from his mouth will come a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. We don't like to talk about this, and we don't talk about it much. But the fact is, Jesus is going to execute judgment on the nations of the world. Now, God is patient. God is long-suffering. We call him the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and so forth and so on, that he continually reaches out to us and continually, just continually reaches out and, and calls to us. Some of his qualities are that he's long-suffering, he's full of compassion, he's full of grace, and he's full of mercy, and he's always willing to forgive anyone who turns to him in repentance. You know, right now, I'm, as I'm reading through the Old Testament, my quiet time, I'm reading through, you know, I just finished with Isaiah, and I'm into, into Jeremiah right now, and I'm constantly struck by how many times the Lord is saying to his people, to, to, to Israel, come back to me, return to me, and, you know, pleading with them over and over and over and over. He's always willing to take us back when, when, when we, we, we come to him. But there's a day coming when every chance will have been given. When every opportunity will have been extended. When every call to trust will have gone out. We don't like to talk about it. But there's going to be a day of reckoning when judgment is executed on all who reject him. On all who opposed him on all who refuse to believe and refuse to trust in him. You know, Scripture says it's appointed on a man once to die, and after that, what? The judgment. We probably need to talk about that more than we do. I don't know about you, but I've got family members, not my immediate, thank God that my you know, Lisa and my kids and grandkids are, they're all serving the Lord. My siblings, all but one, one's an atheist. I have cousins, some know the Lord, some don't. Aunts and uncles, some know the Lord. Some don't. Every one of us knows people that don't know the Lord. And we need to be praying for them and not give up. Because one day, there will be a day of reckoning. For many, it'll be a sad day when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords arrives, mounted on his white horse. For others of us, it will be a day of jubilation. 
day of celebration. A day when what we've longed for finally is here and now. And we want to bring as many people as we can. Our families, people we work with, people we meet just throughout the course of a day. We want them to be able to celebrate on that day as well. <clears throat> Fourth thing about the one who wears this title, and that is it tells us that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. I want to read another passage from the book of Revelation. Kind of, I want to read it out loud. It's kind of lengthy to do that, but it's, honestly, it's too good not to read the whole thing. Um, and I believe public reading of Scripture is important. The passage is chapter 5. Not from chapter 5, it is chapter 5 of Revelation. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and seated, uh, both sides with seven seals. I want you to try to picture this as I read it. Try to picture this in your mind as John, as, uh, John is standing in the throne room here. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. It's pictured John weeping in the throne room. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits or, uh, of God, or some translate that as the sevenfold spirit of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and, open it, and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people, and nation. I love that. I love that. You realize heaven is going to be not as white as what we are here. Honestly, I mean, we have people of color aren't here today for various reasons, but we need to be a lot more colorful than what we are. Anyway, where was I? Ah, read that again. 
And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000, that's a lot of angels, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and glory, or praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders did what the only thing they could do, and that is they fell down and they worshiped. Then we read in Revelation eleven twelve says, Then I looked, verses eleven and twelve, then I looked and heard the voices of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads and of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. All heaven breaks out in worship because he is worthy. He's worthy of all praise and glory and honor. I tell you, anybody who does not like to worship is not going to want to be in heaven because that's all that's going on there, 24-7. It's the biggest worship set that you've ever seen in your life. Because Jesus is worthy of it. Whatever is going on in your life, he's worthy of worship. Whatever happened to you this week, he's worthy of praise. Whatever disappointment, whatever difficulty, whatever crisis, whatever tragic event, whatever it is, doesn't change the fact that he's worthy. Who is Jesus? He's the, eternal word of, he's the eternal word of God. He's the son of man from Daniel 7. He's the son of man who is fully man, fully God. He's the son of God. He's our savior who saves us from sin, Death, sickness, disease. He's the healer who heals our broken bodies and spirits, minds, relationships, any area in our lives that's broken. He heals it. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords who is worthy of all worship, praise, glory, and honor who is worthy of our love and worthy of our obedience, worthy of our time, worthy of our energy, worthy of our resources. He's worthy, period.
you've never put your trust in Him before, surrender your life to Him. I'd encourage you not to leave here today until you do so. I'm going to pray. And I encourage you, in your heart, just say, yes, Lord. If this is the day that you choose to surrender your life to him. Lord, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I believe you died for my sin and rose from the dead on the third day. Forgive my unbelief. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me how to live for you. Be my Lord and my God, my Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name, the name who, of the one who is worthy. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you said yes to that today for the first time, yes to Jesus, then tell somebody before you leave, or if you're watching on the, on the, light, on the feed, tell someone before the day is out that you said yes to Jesus today, and let them celebrate with you. One more thing before we go. We've been doing this lately. If you have a need for healing in your body, we want to pray with you. This could be something you've had prayer for before. Could be something you've had a touch of God in your life before in this and want more or want more, but we would like to pray for you. So if that's you, I want you to stand up right where you are. Okay, anybody else? Just one today? All right. Then I want some people to gather around Dell, and we're going to go ahead and uh, have you pray. And everybody else, let's just stand and turn, and you can extend your arms. We've been doing this before. Dell, if you want to take about 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes, 20, <laughs> not 20 minutes, 20 seconds, and just share with those around you, share with those around you and, uh, you know, what it is. And then I want uh, us to pray. And I want, I, I want, not me, I want the congregation, I want the body to pray because you're the saints. And you're the ones to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, to do the work of Jesus. So, Del, go ahead and just, you don't have to share it to everybody, just... Okay, okay. Now you know how to pray. We've been doing this, so go ahead and pray. And 
and focus on prayers of command as you speak. Focus, focus on prayers of command, so go to it. Father, release your power right now, your gifts of healing. Release your gifts of healing into the church, Lord. Father, your people have prayed. And you have heard. And we thank you that you hear us. Now come and do what only you can do. Bring your power, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, hold out your hands to receive the blessing, the benediction. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation this, this day so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that may, you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And may he fill you this day to overflowing with the presence of his Holy Spirit. That it pours out and overflows onto everyone that you come across. Go in his blessing and go in his peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.